0: Uh, they've got they 've got one of those jobs that no one even notices until uh, things don 't quite go right, but they have done a fabulous job not only uh, ministering to us in this room but but really greatly improving the quality of our stream over these last few months, uh, so that folks at home uh, and those who even watch the sermon later are able to, uh, to to be able to watch it with less distraction so thank you guys. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it even helped me with my faith a little bit this morning after having that little incident with uh, uh, me being live with that last song when Chris said, sing with us, I had to stop and think for a minute, do I sing or do I lip sync? And, uh, you know, I'm not a, a worship pastor for for a, a reason. Um, and, and it also helped me make a quick decision. I'd been thinking about, uh, should I make a quick run to the bathroom or not there? You know, a little too much coffee this morning. Uh, very easy decision when uh, when you know you, you might be light, you might be hot um, but this morning we 're going to be talking about the gospel imperative um, Now I just want to remind those of you who are joining us at home today um, you can follow us uh, on our along with the listening guide and those who may be visiting with us you 'll find it inside your Bulletin. If you're at home and you haven't yet uh, downloaded this, uh, Denise sent this out around 9 o'clock, 9.30. Um, You can download it real quick. It might help you as we go through this this message. Um, Also, this morning we'll be observing communion at the end of our service. And this is a time for us to uh, draw near to Christ and um, really to His church here and around the world. Um, So if you're at home and you're not quite ready for that, you might want to be thinking about getting ready um, both— heart and elements and and if you're in this room and you did not pick up one of these we have them available in a table uh in the foyer i believe is that correct am i telling the truth deacons so you could jet out there uh during the time in which we prepare our hearts to grab a few more of these elements if you if you need them well what what do you perceive to be your greatest need right now in your life Maybe, it, maybe it's health. We, we prayed for folks who are struggling. And, you know, when we're struggling with our health, when we're in, in pain, uh, that, that, that can override and overshadow everything. You know, my back is hurting, and if I could just find relief. Uh, or maybe there is that diagnosis. Or maybe, maybe you need money. Maybe times are tough, and the bills are, are piling up. And, and the thought is, if I just had, you know, a little more money, I'd be okay. What is, what is, what is the greatest need of your family? What is, what is the greatest need of our country right now? You know, there's, there's, maybe you've seen this in the paper. Uh, I've heard people say this more than once. Our hope is in science. Science is going to save us. If we can just come up with a, a vaccine, uh, we will be saved. And, and make no mistake, I certainly pray that God will uh, allow us to find a, a, a good, safe, quick medical cure for COVID. Uh, but, that, but that is certainly not our greatest need or our greatest hope. A vaccine, maybe in your mind, uh, you're not so worried about getting sick as you're just exhausted and, and you're tired of wearing a mask around and all the distancing and all the, you know, when can we get back to normal? Maybe it's even got to come through your mind. Is, is, is this an overreaction? Like, should we really be taking these drastic measures for the sake of some who this would really affect badly? When can we just, I just want to go outside and breathe normally and, and back to my old normal life. But is that truly the hope? I mean, what does it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world? and lose their soul. What if you had all the money in the world or the greatest health, one day you are going to get sick and die. Unless Jesus comes back first. That is that is a reality that we know is true and eternity is where our mind must rest. And so the greatest need for everybody in this room and in our country and in our world Is salvation. Everyone will stand before a holy God. And unless they are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, they're doomed. But the good news is we have the answer. We have the means of salvation in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know, you've probably heard the illustration of the ocean. You know, the ocean. Is shallow enough where even even a two-year-old child on a calm day can play in its shallows. But the the greatest diver, the greatest free diver, could never even come close to probing its depths. I mean, we don't have even even with nitrox, you can't probe its depths. You can only go down to maybe two hundred, two hundred fifty feet, right? Well, so is the gospel. You know, we we. We can understand the basics. Even a young child can understand the basics of the gospel, but the greatest theologian among us can never fully probe the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even at the, the beginning of the gospel message, after we've talked about the creation, as we're talking about the incarnation, Jesus Christ, the God-man, suddenly we're, we're, there are depths, there are mysteries of the hypostatic union, that, that union of divinity and humanity. Our our brains can't fully comprehend that. Uh, A baby with full, infinite knowledge growing in wisdom. How does that work exactly? Um, We come to the center of the gospel, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. And and then we, we have to probe the question, how can the infinite God die? Or even our response to the gospel. We, we know that all that the Father draws or calls will come to me, but he who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. So we, we know that God is fully sovereign in saving sinners. And yet we know that God also holds all people accountable and he gives humanity a will. So how does the sovereignty and of God and the will of man exactly meet we, there, there are mysteries that, that our minds can probe and, and should look into what a scripture say, but we'll never fully, completely grasp. And yet, we can share the, the essence of the gospel in 15 seconds, right? Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrates or, or shows us his love in that while we're sinners, Christ died for us or even if you're going down in a plane and you got five seconds you could you could say what my brother ken just said right jesus died for sinners the essence of the gospel so here's my question for you how many times did you think about the gospel this week how about this morning before you came as you prepared to come and worship the lord were you distracted were there a lot of other things going on? Maybe you went out for a run. Maybe you spent some time reading the paper. Maybe you spent some time with your family, but did you think about the gospel? This last week, did you have any conversations about the gospel? Maybe with a sibling, or one of your kids, or your spouse, or a good brother, or sister, in Christ, but, but I hope maybe with someone who doesn't know Jesus, who needs the gospel... Did you talk about the gospel with anyone? What, what did you talk about with folks? Consider the imperative of the gospel of Jesus Christ in our sermon text that, that our brother uh, Ken just read. Romans 10, 14. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? and hearing through the word of Christ. We're going to, I'm going to summarize this text with three basic points this morning that are all really application points. Um, the first one is from verse 14, that we must share the gospel. God has given us the gospel with an imperative to communicate that gospel, to share that gospel. You could say to preach the gospel. So there are three questions in verse 14 that Paul asks that all have very obvious answers. The first of which is, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And of course, the answer is they can't. You can't call on God for salvation if you don't, in your heart, believe, let's go back a verse, as uh, Ken did, as you read this morning the, the text, to remember the importance of calling on God. Uh, verse thirteen: For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I loved the ending of Pastor Bill's sermon last week. I, I, I actually just watched the. I, I watched it in several different sections. I watched the last bit yesterday afternoon, and he said that our faith is a righteousness based on reliance on God, like a, like a little child in distress calling out to a parent that they trust. Children don't call out for help to their parents wondering if their parents can really help them, right? They call out to parents that they trust and they're basically saying from a very, very young age before they can even articulate it fully, I need you. That's what it means to call on the name of the Lord. To say, I need you. I can't do it on my own. Please save me. But calling on God for salvation is is dependent on first believing in him in your heart. John often speaks of faith with two words. You'll find this in his gospel as well as in his His epistles believe in he actually uses that 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 phrase believe in far more than paul does in fact what you'll see here in our text of romans 10 is actually the only place in in paul's writings that he uses the words believe in christ to define faith he uses the word faith over and over and over again right but here paul adopts the terminology of john that we see at the very beginning of John's Gospel, John 1:12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 3:16, for God so loved the world, these are the words of Christ, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. First John 5:13, and these are just a, a sampling of, of John's writings. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So, to call on God for salvation requires belief or faith. And, and I've mentioned this in the past, but those words in Greek are, are really two very similar words, actually, the same root. Okay, pisteo for believe, and pistis for faith. And sadly, in our culture, we've kind of, we've, we've got a bit of a different meaning. Belief is often more shallow than faith, right? When you say faith, people tend to understand, okay, um, you know, that's trust. That's, that's wholehearted. Where we, we tend to think of belief sometimes as simply intellectual assent, right? I, I, believe, I believe George Washington was our first president. I believe two plus two equals four. But are you willing to stake your eternity on it? One scholar said, calling on him and trust in him are two sides of the same coin. So belief is a prerequisite for that act of calling for salvation. Paul's next question is, how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And again, of course, the answer is they can't. You can't believe in Jesus without a certain level of knowledge and understanding of the gospel. Now, you don't need to be able to articulate or even understand the the challenge of the hypostatic union, right? You don't even have to have ever thought about the question, can God die? But you have to believe and understand that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross for your sins and rose From the dead. And so that truth must at some point in your life experience be communicated to you. And what we see here in our text is that God has a heart for the unheard, for those people who've never had the chance to hear the gospel. When when we talk about missions, we often use the word unreached. But a, 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 a word that I would pull out from this text would be the unheard those who have gone throughout their entire life experience without once having the opportunity to hear that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and would save them, will save them if they would repent and trust in Him. Now, when you hear that word here, we're in the 21st century, maybe, like me, you think, well, what about read versus heard? Right? Like, what about Francis Schaeffer, who came to know Jesus th- by reading the Bible? As an as a, as a agnostic with atheistic leanings, he read the Bible looking for all of its errors, and God's Spirit drew him to himself just through reading Scripture. Or what about my, my friend in Afghanistan, Hekmat, his word by the way means, there's name, means wisdom in Persian and in Arabic. Hekmat. Hekmat got a copy of the Bible during the days of the Taliban that his brother, who is a refugee in Austria and had heard the gospel through a, an Austrian pastor and had come to know Jesus, mailed to him. Somehow that Bible like a physical, we're not talking about electronic version, a physical Bible somehow made it through the censors and never got opened it until it got into Hekmot's hands. And he spent years reading the Bible and came to know Jesus with no other human beings discipling him. That was interesting, by the way, getting to know Hekmot and getting to know his theology was very, very interesting. No one teaching him any systematic theology, just him reading the Bible well, a number of times. There were a few interesting holes, <laughs> and there were some deep, profound insights that I needed to hear from Hekman. Well, what about him? So I think it's important to remember in the, the context here. As Paul is writing the Romans, uh, he has certainly written several letters, but the canon of the New Testament was not yet complete. So, so hearing the gospel word of mouth was the means available in Paul's day. On top of that, many people were not literate. And so uh, either by someone reading a letter uh, in public that Paul had had written and that being passed around to house churches or simply people taking the gospel and communicating it verbally, that was really the only means available in Paul's day to hearing the gospel. So... Certainly, um, people can come to know Jesus if they have simply read the gospel and not audibly heard the gospel. All of that fits underneath this category of hearing. And we're going to come around back to that in a minute. Paul's third question in verse 14 is, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? People need to hear or read the gospel. How can that happen unless it is proclaimed. And again, the answer is it can't. Now, there, there is a translation issue here that may um, catch some folks and throw them off a little bit, and that might be the word preached. The, the The Greek verb karuso means to proclaim or to preach. And when you hear the word preached in our culture today, you, t- you tend to think of a pulpit, right? You think of a pastor or a clergyman whose, whose job it is to preach sermons or to preach the gospel. But when we go around talking with people, usually we don't use the word in English, preach, right? If you're sharing the gospel with someone at work, you, you probably, when you're talking about it that night, you probably wouldn't say, today I preached the gospel to Bob. Hopefully that's not what happened exactly, okay? Um, hopefully you shared from, from your heart. Okay, uh, the, the connotation preach sometimes almost has an elevated, you know, here I am on a, you know, behind a pulpit on a stage. And, and so what can, there can be a misunderstanding of distance and even responsibility. Like, well, preaching is for preachers, not for the rest of us. So somehow I'm off the hook in terms of God's responsible holding me responsible to proclaim or to share the gospel. The King James Version here actually says, how will they hear without a preacher? But the, the actual word here that's used in Greek is a variation of the word "caruso." So it's, it's karusantes, and actually a better translation would be the ESV's version, which, is, which says someone preaching. But another maybe better synonym for that word preaching would be someone bearing witness or heralding. Because in, in Paul's day, they didn't have pulpits. And the word preach did not mean have all the connotations that it has today of, of, a, of a separation between um, uh, clergy and laity. Uh, a, a town herald was the way that, that messages were commonly disseminated. Somebody would come into the, the town square and would, would kind of tell everybody with a loud voice what was going on. So the concept here is bearing witness. Okay, how, how shall they hear unless someone cries out or heralds or bears witness, whether the volume is high or whether the volume is low or whether the audience is a group of people or whether the audience is one. So the bottom line is all of us have a responsibility to proclaim, bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, what about the use of technology? Okay, I mean, you could, you could hear this and think, okay, it's, it's gotta be verbal, uh, auditory, or maybe read. But what about technology? And I, I, I'm, I'm a uh, self-admitted Luddite, but God has given us technology to be used and it is greatly being used. I mean, we're using technology right now to, to enable people who, who can't be here. And I just wanna say, if you're at home, we miss you. We really do. We love you and we miss you. Um, Folks, if there's somebody you haven't seen for a while, please reach out. Uh, and if you're at home right now and, and you're just not able to come and regularly worship with us um, because of a medical issue uh, or, or just knowing that, that you need to be really careful, um, I want to encourage you to reach out as well. We do not want you to become isolated. Um, uh, one of the, I think one of the most difficult side effects of this whole pandemic is loneliness. And, and we, we, God made us to... Live in community. So please reach out. Use technology for that. Uh, technology is a gift, and technology has been greatly used these last 50 years. Really, these last, really, since the, the advent of the, of the printing press. You can thank Gutenberg for that. But when you think about the last 50 years, the last 40 years, the Jesus film came out. And the Jesus film has been translated into over 100 languages. And it's it's been shown all over the world and it's been greatly used of God to give people a visual understanding of the gospel message and what it was like for, especially for people who can't read, okay? It's been incredibly uh, helpful. But uh, people have used internet technology to great effect these last 20 years, these last 10 years through social media. I remember 10 years ago, friends of mine in North Africa would show up at a cafe with a laptop, would set up a hotspot, and other people, other secret Christians, would show up in the cafe and would be able to download all kinds of biblical materials without them ever actually having to say a word. And in places where it's extremely dangerous to have a, a paper and print version of the Bible, uh, people are able to have them on SD cards in, in cheap smartphones, and it's hidden and layered. Okay, so, so technology has given us many opportunities. For the gospel, but I want you to stop and think for a moment still. How did you become a Christian? What was your experience in coming to Christ? Did did you did you read something online? And maybe someone here did, and 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 then just get a copy of the word, or did a human being love you enough to explain the gospel of Jesus to you and, and to pray for you? Maybe to pray with you, um, to to answer your questions, to to live it out with you and in front of you. You see, God has chosen, I believe, in in a very special way to use that human touch, to use our words, often individually with people, to proclaim the gospel and to draw people to himself. And so we must share the gospel. Number two, our second point, verses 15 and 16, we must not only all take responsibility for sharing the gospel with our neighbors and and our friends and our family members and our colleagues, but we must also send gospel witnesses, that is missionaries, to the unreached, to those other people in other places who don't have access to The gospel or who don't have the same access to the gospel that we have verse 15 says and how are they to preach unless they are sent let's think about this concept of of being sent you know jesus christ himself was sent by god the father to come and to bring the gospel to us to, to live it out to be incarnate to teach us about God's kingdom and to die on the cross for our sins and rise from the dead. Jesus said specifically regarding his teaching in John 7:16, "My teaching is not mine but his who sent me." So Jesus was sent like the many prophets who had come before him. Paul was sent by Jesus the King. Jesus was sent by God, his Father, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. Paul was sent by the second person of the Trinity, Jesus the king. He told Ananias in Acts chapter nine in regarding Saul, who had, was in process of becoming Paul. He was blind at the time, having seen Christ on, on the road. In Acts chapter nine, Jesus says to Ananias, "Go for he is a chosen instrument of mine." To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul later, as he actually penned this letter that we've been studying for this last year now, the very first verse of Romans, Paul introduces himself by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for. The gospel of God. An apostle, the the whole meaning of that word is a sent one. So Jesus was sent and Paul was sent. Maybe you will be sent. John Stott summarized these verses well. He, He wrote The essence of Paul's argument is seen if we put his six verbs in the opposite order. Christ sends heralds. Heralds preach, people hear. Hearers believe, believers call, and those who call are saved. And the relentless logic of Paul's case for evangelism is felt more forcibly when the states are stated negatively and each is seen to be essential to the next thus unless some people are commissioned for the task there will be no gospel preachers unless the gospel is preached sinners will not hear christ's message and voice unless they hear him they will not believe the truths of his death and resurrection unless they believe these truths they will not call on him and unless they call on his name they will not be saved well here we see God's heart for the unreached, for those people who've never had the chance yet to hear the good news. I want you to remember when you first heard with understanding the good news. How how do you feel about the good news of the gospel today? I want to show you a short video clip of a film that perhaps you have seen before this came out 30 plus years ago uh and this is what happened in a village in papua new guinea uh, among a people group called the Moke. after they had heard the gospel for uh months at least the bible was taught to them for months when they finally came to an understanding of the gospel message this is here this is how they how they responded Village believers stating that he too believes that Christ has paid for his sins. Which means it's true, or it's good, it's very true. Village grammar rejoicing that he believes, so does she. Different ones giving testimony as to their belief in Christ as their sin bearer. Mark saying that if they really are believing, then God's word says that their sin is forgiven. It's good, it's true. spontaneous rejoicing breaks out this went on for two and a half hours maybe that's not our culture exactly i mean wouldn't that be something huh if you're a visitor, you showed up and we were doing this during like worship. But do we get more excited about like football games? Or do we get more excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ? That we were dead in our sins, in a whole heap of trouble for eternity. And yet Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and rose from the dead? It's true. Yeah, Etou, right? That's right. Remind me, Mike, how do the, 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 the uh, Wano have another way of saying it? Remind me. Instead of Itao, what do they say when it's true? Kio Aro, or Mano Anok, or no, mano, mano Anok, right? Amen, may it be, may it be. That's right. So, you know, Jesus called us to take the gospel to the nations, and so it is right for us in our efforts to prioritize those who have never had the chance to hear. That's exactly what Paul did. At the end of the book, and we're going to study this and tease this out in a, in, a, in a few months when we get there, but in Romans 15, verse 20, Paul says, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard Will understand. So when I look at the map today, when I hear about unreached people groups, I I pray, Lord, don't let them die before they before they can get a chance to to at least hear the gospel once. I mean, how many times did you hear the gospel before you were saved? How many times in your life have you heard the gospel? Imagine there are people in this world who've never once had the chance to hear the gospel. I pray, Lord, give them a chance at least once. I'll tell you, my biggest concern with COVID isn't that we can get back to life as normal as soon as possible, although I do want that to happen. My my biggest concern is that it's really making it hard for a lot of our missionaries to communicate the gospel in places. And frankly, I pray, Lord, don't let the United States of America become an incubator that afflicts the world with COVID. I don't want people to die before they hear the chance to hear the gospel. Lord, help us to export your gospel way more than we export COVID. I don't know if you've ever thought of it that way, but that might change your attitude a little bit or the way you view things. Maybe the things you listen to or or read or how you, you know, the attitude. Lord, please don't let folks die until they have the chance to at least hear the gospel once. And there are today unengaged, unreached people groups. Can you believe that? After 2,000 years of church history. That's why we send. And, and maybe we'll be able to send some of you. That's my prayer. Maybe you're watching from home right now. Maybe God will allow you one day to get off your, the couch and go to an unreached people group. That would be awesome. Awesome. And you know, when we send folks, some will receive the good news with gladness. We see in verse 15b, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, this is a reference from Isaiah 52, verse 7, of an exhausted, dusty herald with dirty feet, right? Sandals, sandals. Having, having run to Jerusalem, bringing great news of hope and, and peace. And the, the message in the context of Isaiah 52 is that the Babylonian captivity, that the slavery, the bondage that Israel has been in has ended. That was good news. Do you have beautiful feet? You know, most missionaries that I know, frankly, have terrible-looking feet, if I'm honest, okay? Uh, sometimes, like the wilds, I walk around barefoot, you know, on dust and, and manure, or just kind of tra- tramp along. Everyone I knew in Afghanistan had really—we had nasty feet, okay? We're wearing sandals around. Uh, it was dusty, so dry, our feet were cracking. Uh, we had big calluses, and we went on vacation to Thailand, and my wife went in to get a pedicure—is that what it's called, the foot thing? Yeah. And, and I mean, I, I, you should've seen the look on those poor Thai ladies' faces. You know, I mean, they had some scrubbing and some some shaving to do. Uh, our feet were not beautiful, as far as the human eye goes, or the human nose goes for that nose goes for that matter. But according to God, you have beautiful feet if you use your feet to be a herald, to to go to people. Who don't have access to the gospel, and certainly there are people around this world who have no access. But you know what? You have neighbors who may have a very a strong misunderstanding of the gospel. You may have neighbors who, frankly, are unheard. Maybe they've certainly, if they live in America, they've heard of Christianity. Certainly, they've heard of Jesus. But maybe they don't have an accurate understanding of the gospel message. And God would use your feet and your mouths to take. The gospel. And you know, some will receive it with gladness. Many will reject the good news. We see in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? The the Jews rejected the gospel because it didn't meet their expectations right? uh, The Jews during the time of Jesus, many of them who rejected the gospel, rejected it because they had a works righteousness mindset that they could do. And and the gospel says, no, you can't. You're like a child. You need a savior. And that's offensive to people. The, The gospel offends Muslims because the gospel message says that God became man and God died on the cross And to the Muslim mind, that's just illogical. And that's just offensive. It brings God down in their mind. You know, it offends people in our culture, maybe even more, because it totally goes against self-reliance. It contradicts proud flesh that says, we're good, how dare anybody say my way is not right. But you know, even if you share the gospel with somebody who rejects it, and who rejects you, God will be glorified. And all who are watching will know that Jesus Christ and his gospel is worthy enough to you to face some rejection. And the truth is, we don't see the end. How many of you came to know Jesus after you had heard the gospel many times? Maybe you had rejected someone who had shared the gospel with you. So don't Give up, brothers and sisters, especially with loved ones. There may be someone in your life who you've basically quit sharing the gospel with because you're like, you know what? They're incalcitrant. They are never going to receive this and believe this. But oftentimes, God uses uh, perseverance and he uses time. So don't give up. Some of us get to go, some of us actually get to go to the nations, and that is awesome. The rest of us get to send. Sending is all of our mission. So let's do a good job as senders. So let me just ask you the question. Have you communicated with your missionary this week? Every one of us in a life group has a missionary that we're assigned to, right? Have you communicated with them this week? Have you encouraged them? Let's be good senders. One one thing our life group was able to do... Uh, as, as a result of, of COVID and, and meeting for a while virtually, was to, to have our missionaries join us. And it was, it was just kind of strange. It was so cool. You know, I'm talking to someone who lives about two miles away, and oh, hey, there's the Douglases. Um, let's make sure that we are good senders. So we're called to share. We are called to send. But every one of us are called to proclaim Christ. Look at verse 17. And let's make sure that we are proclaiming Christ. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now the KJV here translates this. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. New King James as well. So which is it? The word of God or the word of Christ? Well, actually, I believe the word of Christ is a better translation, more manuscript evidence for that. Um, But, of course, it's not a contradiction because Christ is God. So the question is, what does word of Christ mean here? Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Is, is, Is Paul referring to the message about Christ? Faith comes by hearing the message about Christ, that is the gospel. Or does it mean the words of Christ? In other words, when you open your Bible, uh, the red letters, right, the words that Jesus actually said, or if you have a fuller understanding of inspiration, actually it's all of the Bible because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, was actively involved in inspiring uh, all of the writers of the Bible through the Holy Spirit, through the third person of the Trinity. Um, so what is it? Is, is it the message of the gospel, right, the message about Christ, or is it the words of Christ verbatim that we need to focus on here? Thank you, Brother Ken. He says, yes. Would you believe that there are scholars that have written hundreds of pages arguing for this one versus that one? When the answer is both (laughs) or yes. Jesus is, in in the words of one scholar, the content and the author of our message. Did you get that? Jesus is both the content and the author of the message that we have To share. So let's make sure that both are a part of our evangelism. First, let's make sure, content wise, that Jesus Christ is indeed the very center of our message. I don't know if you've ever heard a testimony from somebody about how God saved them, but most of the testimony was, you know, I was a bad man and all those things that I did. And I'm not, I want, to be, I want to tread carefully here because there is something to be said in sharing your testimony to, to share how God has changed us, right? And, 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 and how he has redeemed us and how he can save the worst sinner. But let's make sure that Christ is indeed the center of our message. Should we talk about creation when we share the gospel? Well, some of it depends on the context of who we're talking to you're talking to a muslim the muslim believes that god created the world they don't have a problem believing that god created the world in 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 six days literal days No, no problem for a muslim right i think we should still establish ownership rights god created us okay um but we need to make sure that jesus christ is the center of the message that we talk about christ we talk about his teaching and his life His miracles, his death, his resurrection. Christ must be the very center of our message. It's easy to get distracted. Should we study apologetics and be ready to answer all of the objections? Yes, we should. But again, let's make sure that Jesus Christ is the center of our gospel message. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. But let's also use the word of God, right? The actual very words of God, the biblical content as we share the gospel, Jesus Christ, the author. Remember, the Bible is a two-edged sword. Hebrews 4 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intention of the heart. Paul wrote in his first chapter to the Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, What this means to me is, I may not know every answer. I may not be able to answer every question. I might not be very elegant in the way I speak to people. But that shouldn't stop me. I need to make sure that I just share verses from the Bible. Certainly explain them, but make sure you're sharing the actual words of God, the actual word of Christ, because this has mystical power. I don't know how else to put it. God does work through brains— but this has power beyond even that, to pierce right into the thoughts of the heart. And so maybe that person you're sharing with wins the argument, so to speak, and goes away smugly and you're, you're thinking, man, I didn't do a very good job. If you used the word of God, that is there, just tearing up inside. And you don't know how God will use that next, the next morning. Or maybe five years down the road in that person's life. Because these words are powerful and true. So use the word of God. So I would encourage you practically, memorize some verses. Memorize, go through, you know, memorize the Roman's road. Uh, commit greater scriptures as well that the Holy Spirit can, can use when you're sharing with people. To actually share with them the very words of God. That are far more powerful than, than our greatest logical syllogisms or, or arguments. I had a, I knew a young guy named Joe in college, and on Friday nights when I was in college, a group of us would go down to inner city Cincinnati and were involved in street ministry, uh, sharing the gospel. We weren't standing, we weren't standing on little soap boxes uh, in the American way of thinking, preaching at everyone. We were getting to know people one-on-one, uh, taking them sometimes, taking them to get a bite to eat, um, sometimes taking them to a clinic, but, but mostly just sharing Jesus with them and, and, and talking about the Bible with them, sharing the gospel with them. And I thought I kind of had street smarts and all that kind of thing. You know, I had, my, I had my inner city jacket and all that. But you know what? I mean, I'm sure they could see me coming from a mile away. Um, but Joe, I was pretty sure they could see coming from two miles away, all right? Joe had never done anything like this before, brand new believer. He showed up with this big, thick Bible under his arm. Okay, um, I had a little. This is before I, you know, I, iPhones. But I had a little pocket New Testament. I'd have in my back pocket, you know, in case somebody pickpocketed me, they could have that. Uh, Joe had this big old Bible, and I remember thinking, uh, Oh boy, you know, this guy's going to be a little bit maybe too fundamentalist. Not sure how this is going to work. But we, he, he partners up with this young lady, and they take off. And about three hours later, we meet up at the van, and. Joe's just kind of, you know, just kind of looking like, yeah, everything went as it was, as it was supposed to. Uh, the young lady was just ecstatic, like, we led this guy to Jesus. This guy was saved. I'm thinking, whoa. Nope. Nobody came to know Jesus that night as a result of my ministry. Uh, the next week, Joe came back, and you know what? It happened again. Another guy was saved, and I was kind of starting to wonder, well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe this technique was, maybe just Maybe it's just mental assent. Maybe they don't really get it. Guess what? The guy showed up, homeless guy. The guy was just alive, smile ear to ear. He had met Jesus. And so I was kind of like, all right, Joe, what are you doing? Because I mean, I had you know, studied evangelism, explosion, and all this stuff. And he would just open his Bible and hand it to them and have them read it to him. And he was so unassuming people would do it. And God was saving people. So it's the, po- the power is the word of God. And often I think the Lord honors um, just faith. So use his word. Have people read his word. Give them your Bible and ask somebody to read it to you. What what does this mean to you? How do you understand this? You know, there is plenty in our lives and in our culture to distract us from the gospel. Um, Materialism, which you might consider to be the love of money. First Timothy 6.10, we know teaches us that not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But that's not the only definition of materialism. We could say the deceitfulness of comfort. That might be something the Lord's trying to do in our lives right now, upsetting our apple cart of, of comfort, right? The deceitfulness of comfort to find our hope in. But there's not only materialism and its wicked cousin hedonism that wars against the gospel in our culture. There's universalism. And this is something that's very insidious and is actually connected to materialism. But it's this idea that is prevalent and has has, has seeped its way into the church that would say that, you know what? At the end of the day, all paths lead to the sea. Everybody's going to get into heaven at the end of the day Or it might simply be uh, heaven is just kind of a a, a nirvana, you know, people die, their soul kind of goes to a better place that's really kind of undefined. Um, But that's going to happen to everybody. So let's just be good people. And so one thing that often happens is then within the church, we simply focus on things like um, let's be good people or even social justice. As important as that is, that is a fruit of the gospel. But sometimes instead of focusing on the gospel of Christ, the focus is on, on, well, let's just create justice on earth and that will be heaven. That will be the panacea we all long for. So there's materialism, there's universalism, and then there's Christian deism. Now, now deism is a, is a false religion, really. And frankly, many of our political forefathers were deists okay uh deists do believe in god but god is far off he's not really knowable or really that relevant to our lives so when you think of like the victorian era that was an era of deism there was this idea of a you know a universe that's really kind of a big mechanical um uh mechanically run um process that was all kicked off and started by god but then god kind of took a vacation went somewhere else and it's up to us it's up to science that's where the hope is, okay? So we Christians can slip into deism by sitting right here and knowing all the answers. Maybe you know all the answers, right? But your heart's not there. You're not really believing the gospel. You know, how you live shows what you really believe. That's what we'll call, quote-unquote, Christian deism. I think I think maybe John Piper was the first to really publicize that terminology, Christian deism. And, and that would tug at our hearts. It would would diminish the reality of the gospel, the importance of the gospel in your life. You know, Satan is the enemy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If he can't get you to doubt it, he's going to work to distract you from it, to diminish its reality in your life. God has given us so many things, so many material blessings, um, so many, frankly, political blessings in our country, so many social blessings, family blessings that we should be thankful for, but nothing comes close to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel should bring comfort to those of us who weep. The gospel should motivate us every morning when we get out of bed. The gospel should center us so that we can go out there and, and, and because of the gospel, love people and, and fight for godly things like the, the, the right to life of unborn babies and, and social justice. But the gospel is the one that must center us. The gospel should unify us. And boy, has it. Uh, may it. B. When is the last time you have shared the gospel? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be more real to me today and this week than it was last. Lord, I, I pray that... Um, that you would bring the truth of the gospel uh, to my mind, to the minds of my brothers and sisters many times a day. Lord, when we're worried, uh, when we're scared, even when we're angry, when we're tempted to lust, when we're tempted to uh, be unkind, Lord, I pray that the gospel would center us. Lord, I, I pray that when we correct our children, we would do it with the gospel as the center of our instruction and discipline. Lord, when we repent for our sins, I pray that we would do it with the the gospel message being the very center of our hope and our attitude towards you. Lord, as we love others and seek to do so, I pray that the gospel would be our motivation and that you would give us the boldness and the wisdom to often share it with those around us. And Lord, I pray that you would send out more messengers of the gospel from our church to the unreached. I pray these things, Lord, praying that if there's anyone in this room that doesn't fully understand the gospel today, you would open up their hearts so that they could understand and believe that Jesus Christ is king and that he'll save them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.